it is 7.34 Wednesday morning. That means it is Open Line Wednesday time with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. And we're ready to answer you. Well, I say we. What am I saying? He <laughs> is ready to answer your Bible-related questions because I'm afraid Come on, we, I'm asking we, you today. Come no, on. No, I volunteer Steve as tribute. In other, in other words... We're ready to facilitate your questions. Oh, good well, morning to you, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy Valentine's Day. By the way, I used the word I used the word guys yesterday with a group of people. One was a female. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I'm willing to be a guy for this phone call. I said, no, you don't understand. Here in Chicago, New York, when we say guys, it's a generic term for everyone I'm talking to. Yes. So when I said, thanks, guys, that's what I mean the same right here. That's Now, it. did you really Brooklynize it and just put in a use guys? No, no, oh. I, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 first of all, there's you guys, and then there's, hey, use guys. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Jew. There's that's like, you guys is y'all yep, in the yep. south, uh-huh. and you guys is all y'all. Uh, that's, that's correct. That's, that's right. Yeah, you got to get this right. That is so correct. Y'all remember in first grade, Michael? That was a thousand years ago. Our teacher asking <laughs> us if we minded as little young ladies being referred to that way. And I remember one girl raising her hand because she was adamant to be addressed as a young lady. So ah, feminism was raising its head right there in yeah, first nah, grade. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Just just colloquial speech is all. Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. trying to get involved in politics. There we go. That's it. <laughs> and we're not trying to be the Bible scholars here because we would just sully your <laughs> reputation badly. So we're going we're gonna to let you do the work. That is true. Hey. Okay. I'll uh, do my best. Well, here's one that we've been hanging on to that I think we, we really have to get to because this is a – Wonderful question. This is from Philip in Arcadia. He says, considering that the Bible tells us to love our enemies, what are we to do about the greatest adversary of all time? Ooh. About, should we love Satan? Yeah. What do we do well, in that? First of all, we have to understand when when Jesus said, love your enemies, he wasn't talking about Satan. Mm-hmm. He was talking about interpersonal relationships of people, yep. not of spiritual forces of darkness. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. But if the principle were to be looked at, we have to use discernment in understanding what the Lord Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying that uh, that we need to like, have a personal affection for uh, the enemy of our souls. Here's what he was saying, and this is what love means. Love means wanting the best for everyone and doing all that we can to achieve it. That's what, that, that's what true love is. So it's not a, an emotional feeling. It, it's really a, an action. Now, what would be the best thing for Satan? It would be to see him judged and cast out into the abyss and finally face eternal judgment. That's what's best for him. And so uh, I can't do anything to achieve that. But I can do what the Bible says, resist the, the, resist the devil and he will flee. So my job right now is to resist him and look for the day when God brings him to judgment and I will just stand back and wait. All right. 
Whoop. Hey, well, I hope that that helps, Philip. I know that you had put that in. It was just about two or three weeks ago, but that has been one that we've wanted to get to so we can address that. And, uh, Philip, I hope that helps you out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this one comes from Mary Lou in Kokomo, Michael, and she's asking, who is the prophet that's mentioned in the Gospel of John? Oh, are you the prophet when 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 they come and ask uh, the Lord? I think it's John, early in in the Gospel of John. Uh, are you uh, are you the prophet that they ask? And the answer is this is rooted in Deuteronomy eighteen, uh, which I believe the prophet, like Moses, refers to the Messiah. But there was, in the first century, uh, a lack of clarity. Uh, Is the prophet, like Moses, the one that will point to the Messiah? And some, uh, it's in John uh, 1, verse 21, they they asked him, Are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Well, are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. And then he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness from Isaiah. So, the, the point of that is uh, there was confusion as to the prophet like Moses. Is it the Messiah? Is it a, someone who announces the Messiah? Is it the forerunner of the Messiah? They just didn't know who he was. So when they asked, are you the prophet? They were saying, are you the prophet of Deuteronomy 18? Which in reality, the prophet like Moses is the Messiah. And so he could very plainly say, no, I am not the prophet. And... Uh, uh, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet of Deuteronomy 18? That's what they say. So that's, there was a, they're talking about the prophet of Deuteronomy 18, but they, they didn't know that the prophet of Deuteronomy 18, some of those people who asked John that question, did not know that the prophet of Deuteronomy 18 is the same person as the Messiah. All right. Okay. All right. By the way, I love Deuteronomy 18, one of my favorite prophecies. There's going to be a prophet like Moses. Uh, and people say, well, every prophet's like Moses. They all speak from God. But the distinction, what makes Moses so special, unlike other prophets, is found in Numbers 14. Let's talk about Deuteronomy 18, which is more interesting than that question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, in Numbers uh I'm sorry, Numbers 12, uh, verses 6 through 8, it says, uh, when, when Miriam and Aram spoke, spoke against Moses, uh, he told Miriam, if there's a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So, What's the difference between Moses and all the other prophets is direct communication between God and that prophet, uh, between Moses. And so then Deuteronomy 18, which says, I will raise up for you a prophet like Moses. It's one who speaks directly with God, not through dreams or visions. So all the other prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, they didn't fit the bill because they had dreams and visions. They did not have direct communication. And so at the end of Deuteronomy, which is the end of the Pentateuch, the addendum, the thing that was added on, the epilogue to the book, which 
most scholars believe was not written by Joshua, where it talks about Moses' death, but many, many years later, when the, around the time of uh, Ezra the prophet, you've got this addendum, the kind of the close of the Pentateuch written on there, uh, and it says uh, that Moses was buried. No one knows where his grave was. And then it says in uh, 34.10, Deuteronomy 34.10, no prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So once again, it's talking about direct communication, and it's saying now at the near the end of the prophetic period, no one has fulfilled that. Keep looking for the prophet who's to come like uh, that, that uh, Moses predicted in Deuteronomy 18. He has yet to come, and that's the Messiah. That's why, because of that, that's why in John 1 they come and say, are you the prophet? Oh, okay. So ultimately, the prophets before are there to prepare them all for the final prophet, right? Is yeah, that... to write the scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of them to write scripture. Some of them didn't write scripture. Elijah didn't. But they're all pointing uh, to the Messiah. Yep. One of my favorite uh, verses is First uh, Peter one ten. You, you've just hit my like one of my favorite topics, which is messianic prophecy, <laughs> the subject of my doctoral dissertation and books I've written. But here's just a first little Peter book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, first uh, Peter one ten. Uh, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired about what time or person the spirit of Messiah within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. Some people misunderstand this. It says that they didn't know what they were talking about. But they did. They knew it was about his sufferings and his glory. What they didn't know is when he would come and who he would be. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. They, were, they understood that it was in the distant future that that would happen. They were serving us, who uh, these things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you. So the, the point is the prophets were all predicting the sufferings and glory of the Messiah. What they didn't know is when will he come? They didn't know that. And who would he be? Who would the referent be? Would it be someone named Yeshua? Would it be someone named, you know, Yeshiyahu? Would it be someone named Matityahu? There's all these different, you know, possible names. But, uh, and the rabbis actually have a long speculation of potential names in the Talmud. Uh, would it be a Menachem? Would it be, and they have all the names. But what we do know is they said, you'll call him Jesus, uh, for he'll save his people. So there's the referent that was predicted and now they didn't know who it would be but now we do interesting it's just interesting it is interesting to study yeah it's yeah it's i've this is like the thing i give in my life to <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> yeah so i came to the lord about 52 years ago and uh how i i've been studying that non-stop ever since for the last 50 years yeah and you've got the coolest testimony. I wish we had time to go into it this morning. We don't, but I wish we did. Thank you. But, uh, you know, it's a testimony to the grace of God, so that's what I'm happy about. All right, Michael, we've got to get to Christine's question. This is a little bit different. Be angry and sin not. Mm-hmm. When does anger become a sin? What's that tipping point, she's asking? 
Yeah, that's uh, Ephesians 4, 26, I believe. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, and, and this is the key to it. You can find the tests right in it. Uh, uh, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Uh, I think the very first way, there, there's several tests involved. Let's see if I can remember what the tests are. Uh, there's the sin test, which is uh, the way I express my anger. Mm-hmm. Okay? Explosive, raging. Of course, that's not appropriate. So that's the first test. Uh, the way I am angry. And then there's the sun test, which is how long I'm angry. Uh, I need to work to resolve it before it becomes bitterness. And then the third uh, is the Satan test. Don't give the devil opportunity. What he loves to do is use our anger to divide each other and he lies to us. And so that's how people, when they get angry, they sit and they, because they're bitter and they, they sulk, we, we do this. And that's what gives Satan an opportunity to divide us. So I would say if we express it wrong, that's the first aspect. Secondly, if we hold on to it too long, uh, that's the second. Uh, and then the third is if we divide the body of believers over our anger because we're sulking and bitter and angry and we become div- divisive through it. That's the Satan test. Those are the three ways that we can sin while being angry. All right. Well, Christine, I hope that that answers the question that you had there and that helps you out in your particular walk. She's possibly, I would say, you know, maybe even if she's been reading in that, then she's dealing with some of that and trying to Mm -hmm. discern her way through that. So, so, yeah. You know, a lot of people think that Christians should never be angry. But I think that that's a mistake. That's be angry, but don't sin. Mm -hmm. If If we never get angry at things that are wrong, uh, then we're we're vapid. We we have no backbone. We we have the model of the Lord Jesus, who was angry about people being misused uh, in the temple at their sacrifices, and he became angry about it. Uh, zeal for God's house burned within him, mm-hmm. and so uh, I think that there are things that should make us angry. And human trafficking should make us angry, and we should do something about it. Uh, there are things that should make us angry, and we need to deal with them. Well, it's also one of those experiences that God has given to us in our emotion. I mean, yeah. it's an indicator mm-hmm. for us. It's a, yeah. It points to something, that something is wrong and that you have to address that. The exactly. problem becomes when you do hang on to that, then it becomes that bitterness, that root of bitterness, and then becomes resentment, which then that anger turns into sin, which then can lead to hatred and murder in your heart. And then we see where yep. that all goes. Um, Give, and it gives the devil an opportunity. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so, what does he do? Yeah. He seeks to divide those people. And yep. then in that in that situation, he has won, yep. if you allow That's it. it. Yeah. Okay. All right, Michael, this question comes from Barry, and Barry says he's been ministering to a friend at work, and the friend has asked Barry if he has to speak to another person about all of the sin in his life. He's talking about confessing, or can't he just go to Christ and ask for forgiveness? And Barry says he wasn't Mm. really sure how to answer him on that. Yeah. As for confessing uh, of our sins, I I think it's uh, James 5 where it says confess your sins one to another to another yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, and so I think people misunderstand that. They think that means that we need to confess our sins uh, here. It's James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Uh, the idea of that is they say, well, I just every whenever I sin, I just get up in front of church and confess all my sins, or I go to a friend and I confess all my sins. I've had students come to me. I've I've always resented that I got a bad grade from you, and, you know. And I've been here three years at Moody, and I just wanted to confess to you that I've sinned against you, and I've I've smeared your name with other students and told them not to take your classes. And I'm like, really? I didn't know that. You don't have to tell me that. I don't care, you know. Uh, that but they feel they have to get it off their chest. What? What I have come to believe is that we only confess where it says confess your sins one to another. We confess our sins to those whom we have committed them against. So uh, if I have not, uh, or, or and they know, well, I even go so far and they know about it. But, uh, but even that, uh, at least don't go around telling everyone. Just go to the person that you sinned against. And that's who you confess your sin to and, re- and reconcile and resolve. That's what, what I would say. Uh, so now there's one other area. that Sometimes we have accountability partners, people to whom we are accountable. Sometimes it's in areas where we have addictive behavior, where we're sinning addictively, and we have an accountability partner, just like in a uh, 12 Steps program where we have a sponsor. And so if we have a situation like that with an accountability partner, then that's appropriate not to confess to them, but to let you let them know, confess uh, that that's happened and they will pray with you uh, or something like that. Pray with us when we do that. But I would say, generally speaking, those big revival meetings where people get up and confess all their secret sins, I think that's inappropriate. Uh, even going to someone and confessing their sins like to a, like you would get uh, uh, forgiveness through them. Uh, no, uh, go directly to God. But if you sinned against a person, reconcile with them by confessing. And then also when we confess, one of the things, not only do we confess that sin, we agree with them that it was a sin, we take the principle from the Old Testament, what can I do to make restitution to fix this problem? It's not enough to say, boy, I really blew it, I did this thing. Now we have to say, what you know? What, what, do what I, can yeah. I do? How do I resolve this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and how does that impact us then if we go back to Matthew 5? Because people often think of the words that says if you're, you know, if you're going to the altar and you have your gift for the Lord, but it's not about what you have against another. It's an awareness because the, the words mm-hmm. are, remember, if, if you remember that your brother has something against you. So yeah. it doesn't that put the... Um, puts the onus on me to try and resolve that issue yeah i don't even i don't need to wait for that person to come to me and yeah. look for that forgiveness i should if, be going to them and offering that right if i if i hear that someone is angry me at me about something somehow i hear it and yeah. i know it you know i need to go take the initiative and say hey can't, let's get this resolved yeah yeah uh, and and uh, so do you, by the way, uh, and so does every follower of Jesus, because yep. we need to take the initiative to to resolve conflict. Yep. Uh, because what's the Lord's prayer for His people that we would be one, and this mm-hmm. way all men will know that that you're my disciples. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I think division is like one of the biggest turnoffs to lost people about how we are sniping at each other all the time. Mm-hmm. So confession of sin when we've sinned against someone and moreover 
uh, seeking out someone if we know that they have, what is the old word from the King James? Ought against us. That's it. (laughs) Well, we've bumped now all the way to the end. Michael, we've been sharing with everybody about how they can get involved in the Sailaway contest. We've got tons of people who are going to be doing that, and uh, I know you're looking forward to that trip. You got open yeah. line coming up Saturday at 10 a.m. right here on MoodyRadio.org. Go over and find that on the webpage also if you want to find the schedule. Mm-hmm. 10 a.m. on Saturday, but also uh, MichaelRydelnick.org. Go check yeah. it all out there. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff on there, and I'm going to learn how to write blogs on that new one. Uh, I've got a new, a new platform. And I still don't know how to write a blog on it, but I will. I promise. <laughs> All right. We're looking okay. forward to it. Hey, Michael, you and Eva have a great Valentine's Day. Thanks. You guys have a great day. Talk to you later. All See right. You, bud. Bye-bye. You're listening to a Mornings with Kelly and Steve podcast. Be sure to check us out every weekday morning from 6 to 9 on Moody Radio.